Hello, film lovers. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. Today on the show, I am talking to Kathy Crane, one of my old professors from Ithaca College, all about Ollie, Fear Eats the Soul, and Rainer Werner Fassbender as an auteur, an artist, a filmmaker. It's a really wonderful conversation. Before I get to it, as always, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, Frankly I Love Movies, on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Speaking of which, next Thursday I will have the uh, new diary entry uh, out for you guys all about the films that I watched in the first half of December. It's uh, coming down to the wire for that one, so I will. Uh, it may be up a little bit late, but it will be out, and I hope you guys enjoy it. But for now, today is a very special episode. I have one of my former film professors from Ithaca College here, Kathy Crane. How are you today? I'm really great. So good to see you, Josh. It's great see to you, see you, hear too. you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's good to at least have some communication. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a movie called Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. But on a bigger level, I think this is an episode of the appreciation and a bit of history about the uh, auteur Rainer Werner Fassbender, who, if you're not familiar, is a, um, a German filmmaker, um, playwright, writer, activist, um, essayist. He was very prolific. He has, you know, more than... 20 some films, two miniseries, um, so many plays. And that was where we first had interaction together as you taught a class all about um, his body of work. And I believe the class was called like Queer Politics in Cinema. It was a yeah. special topics course back in the spring of 2019. I just want to know kind of right off the bat what Fassbender means to you, why, um, wh when you first encountered him, what what inspired you to kind of talk about him and make a class about him? Like, what does he give to you? Uh, well, to be queer is a particular uh, thought. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think of him as both homosexual, but also as a re really radical, formal uh, practitioner of cinema. So mm -hmm. he's he's also queering certain cinematic uh, structures and language. Uh, to me, he's, he's probably one of the most articulate filmmakers to think through the ways in which politics, political life, economic life, socioeconomic life affect daily life. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and I've been following and thinking about acting and, and different approaches to acting for a very long time in my own work, but also in my teaching. And um, so for him, I've just this, well, this film in particular, but most of his films are a real set of experiments, as you mentioned in the introductions, coming out of theater, coming out of a, he's aligned often with Brecht, who I'm always interested in and, whether or not one can can perform a Brechtian uh, alienation techniques in mm -hmm. film, whether that's possible in film or whether it's really an embodied theatrical uh, mm -hmm. encounter. Um, and I think, I mean, if that is a question, then I think uh, Fassbender answers that question in the affirmative. Yes, you can mm -hmm. uh, make films that look at the ways in which 
our bodies have been indoctrinated mm -hmm. to perform a particular approach to humanity. Yes. He, and that it's oh, not a given. It's not natural. No, 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 for sure. He definitely loved to, yes, subvert the expectation of art and performance. And it's interesting. I so I had never heard of Fassbender until your class. And I'm, I'm honestly I'm very grateful for that because it was at a point in my life where, um, you know, I was a junior in college. It was my second semester at Ithaca after transferring. So I was going in to open my mind to want you know, to meet people, but to also like explore cinema. And this was an area, you know, this um, kind of new German cinema and him in particular that I was not really aware of or really um, had a grasp on. And he is an interesting figure to dive into just because of like, we watched a lot of his films. I don't know if necessarily in chronological order, but semi like, like I know we started with Katzelmacher, which I think was an interesting place to begin because like a lot of his like first films, like love is colder than death, God, gods of the plague. And, and that one are kind of seen as like a bit more of the avant garde where he's just kind of playing, um, literally playing like, you know, adapting his own plays and watching these actors just kind of be with each other. And it can be a bit of a, an adjustment for film students. And I remember just being like, this is something. I don't know what to make of this, but I'm curious to see where this goes. And as we went on, I realized this guy's an artist. This is a guy who was so prolific and like in love with creating and just needed to like everything I said that he created, he did before his death at 37, which is wildly yes. insane to think that anyone could possibly do that. Obviously, there's a lot of cocaine involved. Like can't can't deny there that. There was a lot of there was a lot of it was, you know, seventies. It was the seventies, yes, yes, yes. Um, but you can also see him then turn into like a director's favorite, you know, the Criterion collection definitely um really picked him up and, and admires him greatly. But, you know, he has his own influence. It's not just I so I watched I rewatched a lot of his films this week to prepare for this because I needed to refresh after being in your class. And I, I started with Gods of the Plague, which I didn't remember all that much. And I what I loved is just to see him toy with a setting and just kind of let ideas run. That's not a movie that's about like a clear structure of anything. It's just kind of watching this noirish character, these noirish characters in this setting play out. And he was like, there's almost this childlike filmmaking aspect to it, which was really fun to see. And yeah, then great. you get into the later stuff, including Ali, um, which was like the influence of melodrama. And you see the influence of Douglas Sirk in there, which we will talk about for sure. And he's just such a fascinating person to track because there's so much to look at and see where his interests lie. And he has so many overlapping themes. And but all of his movies still stand out as their own thing. You know, like Gods of the Plague is not like Katzelmacher. And Katzelmacher is not why does her R run amok? And, you know, her R is not Ali, you know, but they all like there's some similarities, but they all feel like their own thing. It's it's fascinating. And taking that class, I learned so much about what it was like to be an artist and um, someone to look up to as like taking the risks needed to get to your own, to be your own inspiration and to also like act on your own influences. It was it was an amazing experience. No, oh, great. Yeah. I mean, it, it's true. That's still that class is still having an impact. I just mm -hmm. had someone graduate who was a sophomore at the time that I offered that class. And he was a, he was a senior last year. 
and he made this beautiful agitprop uh, project. I'm like, how did this happen? He's like, mm-hmm. I mean, how did you come to this form? And and he said, well, I took your Fassbender class when I was a mm-hmm. sophomore. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, I really need to offer this class more often because this, the exposure, you're not alone, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's a generational thing. He was very much a part of the the story when I started film in the nineties, started working in film and there was the, the queer cinema it was a whole wave of independent cinema in the United States in the nineties. And of course we look back on, on Fassbender. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, sure. absolutely. And, and he's so fun to kind of go back to. And I think his movies only reward with age. Cause I, I remember, I remember certain films very well and others, not so much. Um, like I remember, um, this, so this week I watched Gods of the Plague, um, Merchant of Four Seasons, Marta, Ali, um, Marriage of Maria Braun, and Fox, uh, Fox and His Friends. And I was tried to get to Petra von Kant, but I couldn't. Timing didn't just just didn't work out. But I think I got a pretty good mix in there. And some of those I vividly remember. Like I vividly remember leaving that class and saying Marta was my favorite. And I thought like that was the one that hit me the most and thinking of like just the fact that it was a TV movie, I think kind of changed my perception of it. And I watched it this week and I was just like, I was devastated by that movie. That movie is so disturbing. It's like a Hanukkah movie, honestly. Like it's so (laughs) reminiscent of like the seventh continent or something. I was like, what the fuck? Oh my God. And it's um, ruthless and relentless. It's very (laughs) relentless. Um, (laughs) But to go back and see, again, I also just recently started getting into the films of Douglas Sirk, which I think we watched a a clip of All That Heaven Allows in your class. I think we had to have, Mm -hmm. especially if we're talking about Ali, we had to. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. which stuck out in my mind. And a few months ago, I I watched it, that movie all the way through and it blew me away. I adore that movie. And now seeing where his influences in uh, in the melodrama come in, it's like, connecting the pieces together and you're like oh yeah it's there and like this is like the camera movement it's like it's so much fun um to do that but then you go back to something like like i, I remember not really loving fox and his friends when i watched in your class and then i watched it this time and i was like oh i understand why people like this this is a very interesting take on the idea of friendship and also classism and uh it was so my opinion on him as a performer changed fast better. I remember leaving so watching that. In that yeah. Film. I remember watching it and I was like, I don't really like his performance. But then I watched it this time. I was like, what was I thinking? He's perfect. Who else can do this <laughs> role? It's so amazing. But you say something that's so crucial to Fassbender actually, which is that he, he wants to unpack very, very specific things, very mm-hmm. specific social structures like friendship, for example, mm-hmm. which you mentioned. And how it is absolutely inspired and shaped by economic facts. Mm-hmm. They're just they you can't get it. He's he's a he's a pure socialist in the sense that he understands the ways in which daily life is is impinged upon by economic reality. And mm-hmm. that's also true in, in both Martha and Ali. He is spending time looking at the problem of marriage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And calling into question of relationships that are not seen as or Martha more so as like the starting point is something that is seen as acceptable and kind of the norm, whereas Ali is starting from the transgressive and not 
accepted and turning it into something that we accept at this point. And it's so interesting to see that. What I took away most from these rewatches is that what what he loves to do, I, I found that he likes to take, you could probably take most of his movies and break down what the story is into like one sentence, but he packs in the most universal, deep, rich themes to talk about. Like, Merchant of Four Seasons, which is my favorite of his. I rewatched that and I was like, this movie is pretty much perfect. I was blown away by how good that movie is. But that movie is about that movie is about trauma. That movie is about acceptance. You know, same with Ali. Ali is the the the, Ali fear eats the soul. It's a movie about fear, which is like so like there's so much to unpack there. But he does it in putting it in the most simple, quote unquote, of situations of just a new relationship between two people and kind of lets that and everyone's reaction around it allow the theme to unfurl. Or something like uh, Marriage of Maria Braun, which I also didn't remember, but I was blown away by this time. I love that film. And how her character changes throughout that film and uh, ascends to this level of success and power that you know, didn't seem as possible at the beginning in this immediate war-torn area. So it's really cool mm-hmm. to see him take these very, you know, uh, strong ideas or strong themes that you can find in so many other films of, again, acceptance, friendship, love, relationships, and puts them in stories that just let the characters be. And he's so fascinating in that way. And if you explain it that way, it almost seems like it shouldn't work. It almost seems like there should be so many other pieces to it because it it sounds so a simple idea with big ideas. It seems like it wouldn't work, but it does. Time and time again, it does. And all of his films stand out and it's amazing. It is amazing. And I have so many things to say about that. The first Mm -hmm. thing I will say about that is it's it's his form. And this goes back to the kind of Brechtian idea I was thinking or just introducing or as to how I got into him. Mm -hmm. Um, There is, it just from the very beginning of Ali, you are introduced to the problem of shot counter shot and what is held in the counter shot. Mm -hmm. What is held in the counter shot is the stare down Mm -hmm. of an entire collection of people, a world who Mm -hmm. inhabit this bar. Yeah. Many of whom are, Arab friends, as as described by the film, I'm sure that's mm-hmm. not the proper um, nomenclature now, but essentially you see it and it lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're doing this thing where it's like a tableau. And I think that what that allows for is, you know, you have to, as a viewer, you have to digest or you have to apprehend what is being presented to you in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're meant to just cruise along the plot, mm-hmm. you know, and just what happens next. Not like you're in some puzzle game like that. You're actually into what is the significance of this encounter. It happens to when she comes out to them as, as having married or being mm-hmm. in love with yeah. Ali mm-hmm. and the long stare down of her children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a movie of staring. It's a lot of death glares. It should be called death glare 2000. Um, but um, I, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to know what is it about this one? Cause I, I run, I want to get into the specifics of Ali yeah. because it's yeah. such a, a wonderful film, 
Um, what is it about this one that you keep coming back to? Like why, when I initially reached out to you, you said that you, this was one of your favorite films. And I remember you speaking so highly of it when we watched it in your class. And I vividly remember my viewing of this film in your class and really liking it. Um, but what is it about this one that you have such a strong attachment to? Uh, it's multiple. It's both thinking of this thread of influence through melodrama that maybe begins with Cirque, and, and then one could even argue that Todd Haynes in Far From Heaven also mm -hmm. picks up some of these some of these threads by way of Fassbinder. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, uh, so there's that, this kind of the idea of lineage and how to think through. Um, but I, the thing about it is the, is this, is the story. Mm -hmm. which is you can talk about the problem of assimilation or integration of the immigrant. That's a, a theme. That's a storyline. But how many stories of that kind of story also engage themselves with the question of age? Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like rarely, it was so, it's so audacious. Yeah. It's just, uh -huh. an it is still an audacious film. And yeah. here is this widow, uh, who is who falls in love with someone who makes her feel alive yes uh -huh. it's like so basic mm -hmm. um and yet it occurs in something that you one could imagine is just an impossible scenario yeah or there is so much fear and taboo around it that people just don't know what what to say about it actually well they, they find ways to say things about it things they themselves have inherited about what to say about it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, she immediately becomes a whore. That's yeah. the only way to think of her by both her children and her coworkers and her neighbors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the bartender calls her that like immediately like that. I'm not going to that old whore's apartment. Um, and that is obviously bred through fear and jealousy and um, just anger. And it's interesting to then see, you know, I think Fassbender loves to deal with loneliness think he yeah. plays with that a lot like i was when i was watching gods of the plague i was watching i was like this is so lonely like all of these characters are so alone and even though they like are in the same place like there's really like that scene i think we watched it in your class the gods of the plague scene where he plays the uh he puts the record on and it plays like the kids song and it's like five minutes of them just like in the apartment it's kind of funny but it's also like really sad because you see that these two characters are just there's nothing there they're just like uh like occupying the same space together and at times that's what i think he likes to juxtapose the main relationships of his film and particularly in ali where there's so much pain in this movie and so much um like hatred between not just like to the main couple but in between like fassbender and erm herman in that scene they just don't like each other <laughs> like they don't like each other but I mean, here's the most important thing mm -hmm. about Fassbender and it really mm -hmm. is true in this film this film takes place in Munich mm -hmm. he is interested in the inheritance of the Nazi regime yes. he is interested in what post-war Germany is about and I've been obsessed with I mean I made a film about Pasolini for example so I've had been reading and, and researching a lot of material about post-war Europe. Yeah. Okay, so that was the Mussolini regime in Italy. But uh, I, I became very interested in what, what he was trying to work through about this inheritance. What mm -hmm. do you inherit in having been a post-war German child? 
Mm -hmm. What is the world that everyone inherited? Yeah. And how is that affecting how everyone is navigating whether or not someone can be trusted, what someone's really angling for, what does someone really stand for? Mm hmm. What are the what are the limits of sociality, which I think start to come out in this in this film in particular, because he's not the only immigrant worker. Right. I mean, Emmy was married to a Polish worker. Mm -hmm. uh, her her dead husband was a Polish worker working in Germany. There was all this crap around that for him, too. And mm -hmm. at the end of the film, you encounter the new cleaning lady who's part of the team. And she's coming from Herzegovina mm -hmm. and has, so there's a, a long history of migrations throughout Europe. And it's, it's, it's really wanting to open up the question, which is so large. Mm -hmm. You think, well, well, America, we're, we're a country of immigrants. How many times do I hear that phrase? Yeah. But what does that, what does that mean to be a stranger somewhere mm -hmm. to, to yeah. arrive in some cases by need through need usually financial need mm -hmm. into a cultural reality that you are outside of when you enter it right and that is a theme that for me is all that i'm interested in really yeah it's pretty much all i'm interested in mm -hmm. yeah because it's right timeless up. unfortunately Yes, very true, unfortunately. And this movie, I think, really hammers it home with the fact that so much of it has to do with, like, I feel like territory, not just in terms of, um, you know, there's mentions of Hitler and, you know, Germany, but, like, it's also just, like, you know, I don't, you know, it's my store, it's my bar, it's my apartment, oh, it's your place, you know, it's, like, crossing the barriers and those lines uh, between your neighbor um, over you know this relationship and how everyone reacts to that or like you know you have to turn your music down because you know we your neighbors are saying it's too loud and it's like oh it's it's obviously about something else but it's interesting how that regiment is interacted in the film so naturally and how he you know there's there's two meanings to every single plot point and every single scene that comes by like I I don't necessarily I'm not saying like there's like this big overall like second metaphor of this movie but what's cool it's great that there is deeper subtext than just you know oh she gave him a, a weird look she doesn't like Ali you know it, it's something there's something else underneath it and again like you said with Fassbender's interest in showing the socio-political effects of World War II and how that I mean Merchant of Four Seasons starts off with, you know, Hans coming home from the war and having to deal with that. You know, he's yeah. constantly obsessed with that effect. And, mm -hmm. you know, Maria Braun, that marriage, the title marriage happens as the war is happening and then shows the effect after it. And it's so interesting how he's able to do that. And again, make all of his films feel like, you know, their own thing. Like, I can't. I don't think of any of his films as like, oh, this is just like this, but different. Like They're it's... not gratuitous. That's mm -hmm. the thing. His work is so rooted in his own personal reality. And a lot has been made about whether or not, um, you know, the autobiography, the biography of a director actually is worth thinking about when one encounters their work. And mm -hmm. maybe it's overdetermines the interpretation one might have of that work. But in this case, very literally, Ali, the actor who plays Ali, is Fassbinder's lover. Mm -hmm. 
So these are not abstract questions of inclusion. These are real encounters of being ostracized, you Mm -hmm. know, from the grocer, your neighborhood grocer. It's like... (laughs) <laughs> I'm giving you the lemonade. I'm yes. sorry. You're asking for this other thing. I know what you're talking about. No, no, I get you. <laughs> oh, I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you the lemonade. That's right. Um, so it's really fun to, as you go back through Fassbender's films, you see like the, um, how many of like different actors like to work with him and they carry on. It's almost like a universe in that way where you're like, Oh, it's this person and he's in this. And even like, you know, the, the actor who plays Ali is in Fox and his friends and is in, I, I believe he's Martha. in, Mer- he's in Martha. He's, he's in, in Merchant. He's the opening. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's in so many things. Do you have a favorite, um, Fassbender performer? I, know God, there's I, so have, many. I have so many favorites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was remi- reminded of, is it Margaret Christensen, the one who plays Martha, who mm-hmm. also plays Petra von Kant? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those performances are off the chain. They're just on. Yeah. She's able to inhabit this pathos of those characters. It's hard not to be over, over-determined in a performance of melodrama. And I feel that she is just just present enough in the in this in the circumstances that her mm-hmm. character is in the midst of yeah that they, that it doesn't get overblown mm-hmm. and it allows sort of the swirling crisis of you know, socio-political reality to be the culprit not her own internal reality i think i don't know so she is very important but hannah shagula i mean i Every single thing she's in, I still mm-hmm. love her. Yeah. She's still alive. She's introducing yeah. Fassbender films in Paris just this yeah. summer. Mm-hmm. She's a goddess. Oh yeah, she's she's definitely my favorite. When I watched Maria Braun, I was I was like, this is a this is a performance for the ages. She's no, unbelievable in that, and she just totally. does so good with so little. Like even when she's in. Um, love yeah, is she's colder like, than death love is colder than death or even when she's in just like you know as the sister in uh merchant of four seasons where she's kind of the only one with a conscience and it's like you guys yeah. always hated him like you despise him and she has this she's so good at like having this more <laughs> modern style of acting where she is keeping everything internal but you see that there is these secrets behind her like when you watch marriage and maria braun you're like she knows every move that's going to to be made and she knows exactly what she's doing she has everything planned she's so methodical and as she hides it behind this beautiful like makeup face like she's such a beautiful person but she is so smart and the way that she leads through her relationships and she's so cunning and manipulative and it's amazing that she can do that as an actor um so i i do love her as well but I, I do have to give the the one person I kept attaching myself to in our in your class was Erm Herman. Whenever she popped up, she's amazing in Merchant of Four Seasons. But I wish she was in like bigger roles in his films because she has like little side parts at points. But she still like relishes in it because she feels like a real person. Like she feels right. like my grandmother or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so well, she's and she great. has not one line in Petra yeah. Van Kamp. She plays the secretary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she's incredible in that one because mm-hmm. you're just, you just look at the way in which how her body, how she holds herself mm-hmm. in space, sort of, it's, it's, there's gravity. You can, it's almost like you can feel, you can feel that she's a center of gravity somehow. 
mm-hmm. some centrifugal force swirling. Yeah, mm-hmm. she is amazing. I, I agree. I, yeah. I mean, she's amazing in this. Yeah, she's. The, it's, it's just cool to see every different actor pop up in some of these films or like one of the uh, tenants in the apartments was also in Fox and his friends. Right, and, right, you know, right. She pops up. She almost, she almost feels like she should be in like a John Waters movie with like the haircut. Like she's Wouldn't great. That be love amazing. Her. That would be so good. I would, I would love to see that if only. Um, or like the, or the guy, like Martha's husband is also in Fox and his friends, which when you watch Martha, you watch him as like, I don't want to see this guy do anything else. He is terrifying. Yeah. He's so yeah. evil. But then he also like, he's putting on that like slight smile and the big eyes but then he does it in Fox and his friends. And you're like, yeah. oh, this this is something different. This is this is a little bit of a different energy than in Marta, you know. And it's well, so this interesting. is an interesting set of observations, I think, because it really does open up a lot of questions for me that are of great interest with Fassbender, which is how actors act mm-hmm. and what what is an actor and what is a social actor. How mm-hmm. is it that we are in all all cases in our lives acting and acting? various roles whether it's me as a teacher whether it's you as a student these are Mm -hmm. roles and we're playing them i don't always play the role of the teacher uh like in life but in the classroom i do so it's it's interesting to think about how all of he gives his actors uh, the circumstances in which it is not possible you could judge all of them Mm -hmm. you could have a judgment about them though it's best not to judge one's characters but mm-hmm. let's say they're all just like pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. Then they become not so horrible because they have their own needs and problems. So even yeah. though the son in 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 Ali, who is going to destroy the television, he <laughs> comes back and you want to hate him for ask, asking his mom to be his care, you know, his 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 daughter's like caretaker while they are at working in the afternoon. But then you realize everyone has a need in an economy that can't take care of everyone Mm -hmm. that, that it's a given that people are lacking some basic, basic boost for survival and not just survival, but maybe like um, even, even the experience of joy or, or, and then he, he breaks down every question, every word. You can't even Mm -hmm. assume that you know what fear is or jealousy and he yeah. goes so far as to even define envy because we yeah. we can't be sure we know about that either. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important that all of these characters are in a complex structure of social manipulation that yeah. it's almost as though they're not responsible for their own actions. I don't mm-hmm. want to go that far because obviously people do shit and it sucks and they are responsible for those, but we inherit mm-hmm. so much of what we end up behaving. Human behavior is not, there's nothing natural about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all learned. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And for it to, you know, feel as though characters are, then to put that mentality into melodrama where emotion is so heightened and actions are so um, like reverberated throughout the entire cast and for it to still seem like, yeah, that's what a character would do is kind of fascinating. And I think melodrama gets a lot of like unnecessary hate because of um, <laughs> like, I understand it's not for everybody. And, you know, soap operas became so popular and like kind of um, like took that, you know, idea to a new height. 
But in, in film, like Douglas Sirk was able to, you know, take a really rich text. Like that's the thing with All That Heaven Allows. That script is dynamite. And he yeah. put so much love and pain into that movie. And it just like it works. It's hard not to connect to the romance. It's hard not to just get all wrapped up in the scenery. And same with some of these films. You're like everything like it looks really good. The emotion like between these two characters, it's the only thing that we're focusing on. Do you have like a good case for why melodrama can like be used really well in film? Like, are you just an overall fan of that style? Like, what is it about? Like, can you sell people on melodrama? I feel well, like it's just hard. <laughs> I, I can't. I mean, <clears throat> here's how I how I understand melodrama. I understand it as best. Yes, the soap opera and 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 maybe the Cirque films. One could would argue these have um, a, 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 a way of articulating its drama mm-hmm. that is just one. It ratcheted up just a little bit. I'll argue that Ali does not do that, and that's why it's successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that in the case of melodrama more generally, I would say it's a musical. Musicals mm-hmm. are melodrama. They're mm-hmm. basically taking subtextual information and speaking it. Yes. Uh, in essence. And mm-hmm. so then the question is, well, then how do we understand subtext and how is that operating in most dramas? We'd like to not hear everything stated yes. because, you know, then then we're broken from our own um suspension of disbelief as viewers you know we like to be in phantasms but when someone says it like it is it's a buzz kill (laughs) so how does he get away with that because he has he has not just it's not just hana shagula in four seasons saying you guys all hated him like really stating the obvious right there's something so bracing about it and welcome because we're in a world now where everyone's fucking lying (laughs) <laughs> you know everyone is lying yeah <laughs> even me probably i'm lying a little too but but it's, it's important to say say things as they are state things as they are wait for a second and stare like when ali takes the takes the girl who's the the woman in in who wants to just hang out with the one in the pink shirt mm-hmm, in the yeah, bar like wants to just hang her. out with him and he like grabs her Mm-hmm. That's a kind of moment that's it, it's sort of taking the violence that is intrinsic that could be exploded in most American Hollywood films does explode as violence, as car wrecks, as fire, mm-hmm. but doesn't. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just holding violence. And in, in a way, what that allows for is a conceptual understanding that even violence is learned and is a choice. Yeah. So, and this is a long story in cinematic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Do we build stories only based on conflict? Is mm-hmm. it necessary that all stories are rooted in need, desire, greed, obstacle, conflict? Is mm-hmm. that the only thing that's going to drive a story forward? Yeah. It's a question. I don't know yeah. the answer to that question, but. I think what Fassbinder offers is is an example of how to state things clearly and not lose not lose a kind of intrigue that mm-hmm. we enjoy in just watching people come up against obstacles, which we do. You know, how are you yeah. gonna finesse yourself out of this one? It is an intriguing thing that narrative film allows for is to encounter 
you know, people encountering obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah, know? It, yeah, it is an ongoing question. It's it's definitely, you know, I don't think we're going to make any headway answering it here today. But um, yeah, I mean, it is interesting how he likes to play with that. And even when he does have violence and fight scenes and things like that, like they're over so quickly or they're all in one shot or they feel like they feel staged like theatrical like theatrical and i I wouldn't say that as a detriment as a theater kid at heart you know i I love that i think the way you put it as like melodrama as a musical is, is perfect i think that's a great way to describe it um but again the fact that he's able to put it in such like emotionally damaged stories is an interesting dichotomy and you think that tonally that wouldn't necessarily work because the um because those like two tones can like really clash with one another. The worst thing that you can have is for, you know, a a story like this that is so led by a broken heart. And then for you to laugh at some heightened emotion, that would be awful. That would ruin everything. And there's no coming back from that. Like you don't, an audience member is gone at that point. Yep. But he's such a, he's such a leader in that way. Fassbender. He's yeah, so he's a master. He knows what he's doing and he knows how to play with the audience. And I think he understands that not everyone is going to like his movies. And that's why I think it's kind of, he's kind of a true artist. Like I remember, I remember once, and I don't know if you enjoy hearing this, but I think it's important <laughs> to this story that like, I remember once, cause like half of your class, we were also learning how to write a treatment yep. and we would break off into little groups. And I remember once like in the middle of the semester, I was talking with my group and this one guy, I can't remember who it was, but he said like, I don't understand why we're watching Fassbender films. His movies are objectively bad. Like I'm not learning anything. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, object. I hate when people say things are objectively bad. Like that's just, that's just incorrect. Like that's just wrong. <laughs> Second, it's okay if you don't like this, but you're here anyway. Like why not like try and open your mind and see what you can take away. And I think, and I, I I agree in the sense that like, yes, these movies are very different than probably anything you're shown as a sophomore or junior in college. Like you're very much like, oh, this is the type of movie that I'm going to be immersing myself in for the next, you know, however many weeks. And that can be tough to like get used to, but you have to kind of go along with it at points. You have to understand this is what this guy's about in order to really get to the root of what he likes and what he's about. And that's really fun to do, at least for me. Like, I love doing that with directors. And, you know, to kind of go off of the idea of, like, is watching a director's biography, can that influence Mm. your, your, like, multiply, like, the importance of one film over another? Yeah, I think it can. But I also like that in a way. Like, I watched 11 films by Brian De Palma earlier this year. And that recontextualized everything. Like, I watched Blowout, and I was like, this may be the greatest movie ever made. Like, what else has this guy done, you know, and going through everything. And I think that that's an interesting way to view everything. And, you know, I I think he is an artist that is I don't know if he himself is asking, but his filmography, I think, is something that calls for you to be like, just enjoy everything. Take everything in. Don't just come in for Fox and his friends and leave. Stay for Petra Von Kant. 
hang out with Maria Braun, you know, spend a little time with the Merchant of Four Seasons and really try and figure out because he has this library of work that it's impossible to get everything from one of his films. And he's and it, yeah, I know that was just a long winded answer, but like it's I don't know, it's kind of true to me, you know, so. Yeah, um, it's hard to say like what the objectively bad is. I mean, I think that, that there's there's a there's an idea that somehow cinema wants to be a record of the real mm-hmm. and theater is clearly artifice. There's yeah. like an idea that somehow there's a distinction between these two. And I think one of the things that Fassbender does is he brings theatrical staging into the cinematic orbit. Mm-hmm. And that is itself strange. And I yeah. think that that's part of how he achieves the Brechtian uh, a notion, which is that we have to see that all of these roles we play are built into the social design and it doesn't have to be this way. We could redesign the social structure so that we play differently. We play mm-hmm. different kinds of games. And he does this in the long time it takes after one line is uttered, mm-hmm. how long the counter shot holds in mm-hmm. Tableau, yeah. So that you, it's less likely for you to laugh at someone when you can see that they are, as characters, held by a set of forces that are bringing them into this operation. And he, and he makes it even more clear in, in Ali by staging, framing people between mm-hmm. doorways, behind, like when she's eating her lunch and she's behind the staircase. It starts to feel like a prison combined mm-hmm. with the pipes. There's all of this s- metaphoric staging that he's doing where he's holding characters in their domestic confines. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yes. No, for sure. That was one thing I picked up with Ali uh, this time around um, and is is the framing and uh, how there are a lot of melodramatic tropes within the way he shoots through doorways or does wides of really big rooms. My favorite shot was towards the end when Ali goes back to his, I can't remember what the name of the bartender that his friend is, but it's at night and the lights are off and he's naked and just laying on her. And you can like barely make out the door frame, but it's just this shadow on his like body on top. And I was just like, wow. Like the fact that you can, get that is insane but also the fact that that you know plays into like just how he was able to get his message with one shot with one frame he was able to capture that this relationship and where these people are in their lives to then kind of bring out the larger metaphor which we'll get into later but this movie looks so good like yeah the colors are great there's a lot of good reds there's a lot of um you know that he does so well in darkness and how um, you know, dingy it is. One thing I, I was thinking about with um, what you were saying about how his characters can be seen as kind of shitty. Yeah, they can be because I think what's great about it is that like he's writing characters who like aren't the greatest, cleanest people who find themselves in a really tough, grimy environment and are searching for something more human in that. And that, you know, I don't think in any way he's I feel like it's kind of annoying to have to say this, but like I feel it's necessary that he is like uh, endorsing any of this like bad behavior. 
but he is finding the sympathy in the story and he's finding the empathy where you're like, yeah, I don't know what I would do in this situation. I don't know what I would be if I like my entire community was turned against me. Like, well, it's also, and he makes this turn in that film. What, what the good. Okay. So finally they're going to be accepting, but all of them want something. We're, we're going to be yes. better at, as a grocer, uh, mm-hmm. but, but we need your patronage. Uh, I'll be better as your son, but you have to take care of my child. I'll yes. be better too as a neighbor, but you have to give me your storage unit. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all of these negotiations that are constant in yes. life, actually, mm-hmm. that if we look at any of our own decisions in life, we'll see there might be and might have this color to them, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's devastating. It's yes. actually, it's, it's, it's sobering. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know we're jumping around a lot, but I love that you said that because that was something that I also saw that like you spend like a good 45 minutes with this relationship between um, Emmy and uh, and Ali. And you really get a sense that they like each other and that they are like kind of clinging to each other in this kind of wreckage of a storm in, in 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 a strange way. And you know, seeing the fallout of their marriage and seeing everyone turn against them and no one except them, like you said, the son kicking the TV and people making fun of them and like them sitting out in the rain with the crew behind them. And you're just like, I want this to work. And then when it starts to work, you almost feel like, okay, this is strange. Why is everyone being so accepting? And then there's always a caveat. There's like, yes, can you do this? Can you do that? I need like... Because there's almost this, like, again, realization that, like, they're, they then give into the fear and the judgment because, like, then uh, Emmy has, like, her friends over and she's like, oh, yes, look at his muscles, you know, just the, the Arab way, like, he's very <laughs> quiet, you know, kind of way. And they're, like, giving into that and that's, and it's, it's a great structure for the film to start off with loneliness and finding that uh kinship but then that leads to outcast and then once they get back into the community it tears them apart like it's just so much inner turmoil that is changing constantly throughout the film and every which way you're just like someone's getting hurt you know it's it's wild to watch and it doesn't end happy like i wouldn't say that um but it's so it's so painfully satisfying what he does with the structure of this film through the relationship yeah, it's. Um, I think that there's a lot of ways to think about this film. What's interesting, I think, this is a book. I don't know if you've come across this book, but the BFI Film Classics has done this series mm-hmm. um, for, for a number of different specific films. They've yeah. chosen these. And this one by Laura Connington is just great because she walks through a number of fair, fairly interesting parameters for the film and breaks it out and it's true that a, a film like this can take an entire little book to sort of break out all the influences and and socio threads that are making their way through the articulation what this film articulates and mm-hmm. i don't know if we want to dive into meaning uh right away but f- just to follow up on what you were saying about relationship there's also just this reality is that everybody has to work and mm-hmm. so there was also something about the relationship when she starts to count their money. She doesn't want the money from him when he, when they're just meeting at mm-hmm. all, but when they're in it together, they're, then they're wealthy mm-hmm. by comparison to what they're used to. They yeah. can have, 
you know, they can have more as they, as they share things together. And then that becomes a question of what is marriage? Is marriage this societal structure? And then this became a question I actually had about marriage when, when gay marriage was a question. Mm-hmm. What is that? Right. Is that about the sacred bond of two people? Or is that actually the, the taxation nomenclature that allows for a certain set of rights to um, adhere in the category of marriage, filing a tax return as married, for example, mm-hmm. you suddenly have some benefits. Right. Yeah. So marriage but- is, is a problem that I don't know how to answer how he resolves that problem or whether he's just going to look at and stare it down, mm-hmm. which I think this film does. And yes, then you this- die. Yeah. <laughs> Or get really sick, whatever. Yes, yeah. But that is something that is very that speaks to Fassbender as a whole, and I think to greater films as a whole that I think a lot of people don't realize is like sometimes you can get a great film out of not looking for an answer. Or not because like I I don't know who said it. It may be I can't remember who said it, but it's the like as storytellers, we don't we don't solve problems, we present them. I can't mm-hmm. remember who said that, but that's true of what Fassbender yeah. does. He has a question. He's questioning marriage. He's questioning kinship. He's questioning like loyalty, but he doesn't have any results. Like he doesn't have any, like, this is how we fix it. And he shouldn't. I don't think right. he should. Cause he's right. just like, this is the problem that I have with marriage. This is the, the problem in the way that it is viewed. This is the problem that I have with um, relationships that are not viewed as a norm. But I don't I he doesn't end it by saying like, and this is how we should do it. Like, I think that would make his films way worse because that's like even more pompous and pretentious than he probably already could be viewed as. And I think that that makes a lot of his movies really painful again, is that like these characters are stuck in a problem that they can't actually fix. You know, in this film, you know, they try and make it work. And like you said about marriage, there's even that scene where, you know, the, where they're counting the money and then her landlord comes up and he's like, you have to, you can't sublet. And she's like, Oh, but we're married. And he's like, Oh, well that's different. Oh, sorry. You know, have a good day. And you're like, Oh, okay. That meaning and that small word of relationship changes the entire, you know, their entire freedom, like their yeah. entire right in this, in this community of this apartment complex. And, um, I, again, I, I like the fact that there isn't, you know, <laughs> Fassbender just presents like this is what the norm is for marriage and then watches characters go outside that and kind of destroy themselves. There's a lot of self-destruction in yeah. his films. I think that's kind of the whole purpose of why does her run amok? It's just total self-destruction. Um, and this movie uh, is is a little bit different. There's a lot of outside forces, which again adds into the melodrama. There's so much gossiping in this movie. There's mm-hmm. so much conniving. All of the neighbors, like immediately as they see Ali come into the apartment, they're like, oh, there's a there's a black man here, a foreigner. Ooh. And they're like running to each other to talk. Like it's so, it's so fascinating to watch. It's so gossipy. I love it. <laughs> it's also this just like this the, the nature of scarcity which sort of builds out fear and also mm-hmm. builds out economically like how do we explain Fassbinder's character in Ali who mm-hmm. is the daughter Emmy's daughter's husband 
Mm-hmm. And he's at, when we first meet him, he's like a lazy bum, whatever, not working, supposedly mm-hmm. sick. But he's like, he doesn't want to talk about his, the foreman who is a foreigner mm-hmm. who is over him. Yeah. It drives him fucking crazy. Yes. <laughs> and, and so then there's also this question of, you know, what are the myths that drive masculinity? What are the myths that drive um, uh, achievement or success uh, in, in a capitalist society? You know, what, mm-hmm. are, what are those things that we attach ourselves to as being somehow a matter of course? If I do this, if I do this and I do that, then I will have happiness. And that's yeah. why he can never land there because that's just that's just another invention of a political party, this notion of happiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, then that it should be achieved. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's all like this kind of wishful thinking that ends up leading them down like a dark path in a way. And he loved to do that. Like he loved to, that's what's so great about Fox and his friends is that, um, you know, again, giving light to homosexual relations and showing that that also breeds, uh, you know, conflict because of the way that these particular characters are because, also, again, shitty people. Like, because of class. Because, because of class. Because of class. Mm-hmm. He will never not point to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so important. And, you know, and here, you know, asking about, you know, we have Emmy, who is a, a cleaner at a mm-hmm. at an apartment building with like you know six other people and they're talking about who getting a pay raise and you know wanting to uh how could you live with this kind of person and again as the foreigner there's so much racism it's old school racism too where it's just like oh that all they care about is money all they want is like all the violence and it's just like uh it's just so blatant and just so like and when they when they marry and displaced like, Oh, and displaced. Yeah. And like people laugh at them when they get married and are just like, uh, what, like what, what's going on here? And, you know, to see that, I think that gets to the larger point of the fact that this relationship between Emmy and Ali, which is a testament to how good of actors they are, is so believable. Like as soon as they start dancing in that bar, I'm like, oh, where's this going? I, I like these characters together. Like I, I feel it like it works for me. Well, the thing that keeps coming up in the film is where he's from and how people do things. And Mm -hmm. so he has a cultural thing that you're not going to let someone just go home alone. You're Mm -hmm. not going to um, not check in with your mother. Yes. (laughs) You know, that's just not something one would do in Morocco, actually. Mm -hmm. There's There's a thing about sort of a kind of hospitality and generosity that is not something earned. It's a duty of the fact of existence. Mm-hmm. And I think that our, the capitalist West needs, we, the only way we're going to get our shit together and it might mm-hmm. be too late is we have to understand some of these principles, some of these yeah. principles of generosity and, and hospitality that do not come from how is this going to benefit me? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this because it's going to move me somewhere else, somewhere forward. But yeah. I mean, so it could be too late. It's, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> it's hard it's, to know. And like you say, we're not going to like break yeah. the new ground here, but it's, um, it's a set of questions that I think are super important that he brings up in this film right off the bat, mm-hmm. right off the bat. 
that that counter shot that starts off the beginning of the film. Once they dance, then they return to the table in the counter shot of the table. Mm-hmm. She now has the dance floor behind her, not the wall. All mm-hmm. of them are out of focus now. They are included. Yes. She is included. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. that simple. He makes it very, very simple what he does. And because he shoot, chooses that kind of a shot to come back to that table, we we are introduced, we have, whether we know it or not, we're subliminally placed in mm-hmm. the in what the logic of those images are demonstrating. Yeah. And similarly enough, like later when um I don't remember if it's like after they're married or like when they're, you know, officially together, they're hanging out with Ollie's friends at the bar. And it's kind of like in the back corner of that table. So it feels even darker and everyone else is by the bar, just kind of staring them down, you know, and it's, it gives this feeling of like, yeah, they're just talking and joking and having fun, but they're on this darker side of the room, they still feel like outcasts. You know, they're still looked at as completely different. And as opposed to the other side of the bar with the jukeboxes, which is much like lighter and yeah. feels like you're entering somewhere else. Um, and it, again, just pushing them further and further and further away from where they want to be as um, in terms of acceptance is great visual storytelling. And he was so good at um you know filling the frame that way and making it so simple with what he puts in the frame and setups that you only needed one shot or even just like stuff of power dynamics when uh emmy comes in to the bar like the second time and sits down for a coke and the camera like does this like dolly to the side of where the bartender goes back behind the bar and just has this look of like just seething rage on her she's like this is my bar just so you know and she's just like owning it and taking the audience's attention away from her again to alienate her. And it's so interesting to use that blocking of this space. And because he's such a good theater director, he knows how to move actors that way. And taking he the does. camera and like really forcing your POV from people coming and going. There's always someone like coming and going to keep your attention away from someone else. So even later when you said like when she's sitting on the, the stairs and like the, the posts kind of feel like bars they do that even later when the new girl shows up and they're like oh we got to talk about the pay rate she's on a higher level let's go downstairs and talk about it and it's the same swivel to show her on the stairs alone it's the same thing and it's always taking attention away from the characters away from actors to make them feel alone and it's brilliant it's, yes. it's, it's it's brilliant it works every time i mean so the thing wild. that kind of blows my mind is that this was one of three films he made in 1974 yeah that's insane <laughs> well and the one of them was martha and one of uh, them was effie breast which i still haven't seen actually which is a mm-hmm. total hole in the whole fabric yeah. i mean i have mm-hmm. to see that film I almost yeah. watched it last night, but then I'm like, okay, this is almost three hours long. So yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> I don't know if I can dive in. Well, I know that's why I didn't include it in the class. It was too mm-hmm. long for the screening screening section. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's wild to think that he did to go to do this and Martha. The fact that both of those movies are so damaging and so um, like perverse is a lot to take in in a year. You know, I know, but I'm back to his shot structure. I think yeah. that in a way he was so efficient because he, he was he was doing what he needed to say. He was working with actors he'd worked with before. 
it mm-hmm. wasn't like you had to reinvent the wheel in terms of communicating with one another. And he knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. He just knows yeah. he knows how he wants it to be staged. He knows how the effect it's going to have. Doesn't matter if you're in Rome mm-hmm. or you're in Munich. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing is that he very rarely. I don't think I don't know what the whole story is when he worked in a soundstage, but he usually worked on location. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can tell for the most part, like when they're outside, when they're walking around the square, and. Um, you know how sometimes you can feel cramped like within the apartments like it feels like you're actually there and yeah. it, again it's great to use like the long shots he likes to also use shots that are showing in mirrors like yeah. showing someone's reflection like almost in another room in one way it's very economical because you can just get what you need but from a different angle that's impossible to get from a camera but you're also playing with the idea of self-image and reflection of something back to you and what you see like a lot of times care i think that's another trope of melodrama in the in the quote-unquote like soap opery way i know cirque does it too and all that heaven allows like just someone looking at themselves in a reflection and really yeah. thinking about where they are in life and you know it happens a couple times in ollie like the girlfriend does it at one point when she's in her apartment he does it at the end where he's just like looking at himself in the bathroom and he starts hitting himself because he's so yeah, upset that totally freaks me out that scene yeah the whole ending is like so visceral of like just hard emotion because of everything that's happened again in the third act and how the judgment has kind of taken over them and how they like how almost everyone else knows that where it's like all right they know what we actually feel. Now we're going to be nice to them, still ask them for stuff, but then their relationship starts to crumble because they realize like, what if I actually like how things were before? And Ali kind of tests those waters a little bit by going back to someone that he knows. He loves, loves his couscous. It's all the man needs, you know? And he, you know, I think that's why he loves the, uh, loves that safety because it's safe and he knows that Mm -hmm. that um, works. And again, that adds to, you know, and I hate to sound surface level, but it's in the title, you know, fear eats the soul. It's running away from that fear. And also knowing that Emmy has been like kind of torn apart by this relationship. She's incredibly faithful and loves him, but she has poured her heart out into how her whole family has turned against her. I think that's in his head. And for him to then be like, I, I need safety. I need like, certainty in my life and you know it's so great that you're using these words safety certainty these are the kinds of breaking down of Mm -hmm. things like love yes like happiness Mm -hmm. that he is interested in i think fassbender wants us to break it down into its constitutive parts our fantasies about it our desire about it our manifestation of the many ways in which we may manifest it we could be like in rain and, and mm-hmm. totally abandoned in the square. But we are going to have what what appears to be a joyful celebration of our wedding. But there's yeah. nothing around it that's sta- except for the sea of yellow cafe chairs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you're just like, oh, man, they're yeah. empty, but they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just the them sitting in the fancy restaurant, not knowing what to order, just like the distance that they are away from the camera, like it's sitting through the doorway, just there yeah. totally alone. Like no one else is in this restaurant. And he, again, that was where Hitler went. Yeah, that was where Hitler went. <laughs> we got to see it. You know, Hitler, right? Yes. Yeah, Hitler. Yeah. 
which was something I totally like missed on my first viewing of like how she's just like, oh, yeah, my dad loved Hitler. I did, too. But who didn't? You know, (laughs) well, that was the crisis, I think, for Fassbender in Mm post-war Germany is, of Mm -hmm. course, his mother and his mother's generation. They were Hitlerites. Yeah, for sure. They were witnesses. Yeah, at the very least. That's absolutely. And I I like the way that he's working with it. I don't think it's something that needs a lot of explanation. I I don't think it needs. um, And again, maybe this adds to the idea of a director's body of work and how it's easy to kind of exonerate certain things. Because if you watch Mm -hmm. that, you're just like, why does she just says she likes Hitler? Like, why is no one saying anything? It's like, well, I mean, it's kind of like the whole thesis of his body of work is working through that and understanding that like the people that he like you said that he was involved with and grappling through the his post-war experiences he was involved with a lot of people who probably like because of their circumstance were hitlerites and he is troubled by that and he is wants to show that and if he didn't show it it wouldn't be a true um expression of self in a way and I think that that is a big thing that he also is working through and like totally trying to um, show showcase himself and like um, show like these are the experiences that I've had. These are things that I've felt. And that's why he deals with such big things. It does kind of feel like at points that he's running out of time. So he's just got to like go, 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 go. Well, that was um, so amazing about his short contribution to Germany in autumn, which is that it is absolutely autobiographical and it's a direct confrontation with his mother being uh voting mm-hmm. and, and and supporting the nazis it's yes. explicitly about that mm-hmm. so if anyone has any question about what his project is it all sort of is summarized distilled in mm-hmm. in 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 his contribution to germany in autumn mm-hmm. yeah um, I wanted to ask about um, uh, this. Is, I don't know if this is specifically relates to Ali, but just kind of a Fine. bigger point. He was someone who, you know, as being a, you know, as transgressive as an artist and one can be showcasing relationships between, between women and between um, gay men and between, you know, older women and, uh, and a Moroccan man in this film, you know, he faced a lot of criticism. A lot of people have cited his films as being either homophobic misogynist because a lot of his um, female characters almost seem as though they're complicit into their abuse most people you could cite like gods of the plague castle mocker or merchant Mm -hmm. of four seasons in a way or like fox and his friends not portraying certain gay men of higher status as being the hero or a, a positive in a positive light does that like do you subscribe to those ideas? Does it color your perception of the films? Like, do you have a specific opinion on those criticisms? Because like on one hand, in my mind, like I can see where the criticisms stem from, but I don't mm-hmm. necessarily agree with the conclusions that they come to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, listen, misogyny and racism are systemic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, feminists in the 70s were interested in a new, a different approach to how women were going to articulate their um, agency, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that wasn't going to be mediated through marriage mm-hmm. or through these other institutions that confer some degree of power or some degree of property. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I think that 
He's not quite as bad as Lars von Trier in this problem. <laughs> no, 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 of course not. <laughs> but um, yes, I, I do think that's the stories he's telling. It's not just women who are being sacrificial in, in these stories and, and that the system sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think one of the, the revelations in, and this is an overgeneralization, but feminism sort of has opened up the question of what is masculinity and how does mm-hmm. that get constructed mm-hmm. and, and how do those, those flaws or inadequacies that are, in, that are engendered in, in masculinity get projected out and start to produce both the reification of mm-hmm. masculinity as such, yeah. which is that it has to be all powerful. It has to be over the other Uber allus. Hello, yeah. not disconnected from Nazi ideology. Yeah. This notion of Uber allus. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's right. like some crazy God trip that I think, you know, capitalism encourages people to believe mm-hmm. is possible yeah mm-hmm. and you and you see it i mean you see examples of oh we've got you know whatever bezos he can do yeah. whatever the fuck he wants over whomever he wants right yeah and that pretty seems true. like pretty true mm-hmm. pretty true but that in and of itself isn't a value mm-hmm. that's just a set of facts and results that come from a system that is rooted in inequality. And then yeah. you have the question of what's the, what, how does inequality get built? Is that the right question? Yeah. I mean, there's this whole book that just was released about the, uh, just a small title, the dawn of everything. Oh, perfect. A, a, a new history of humanity, mm-hmm. which is how did we get here? And, and they start when they realize, Oh, it's not the right question. How, how, how do we have inequality? Mm-hmm. It's actually, what are the stories we've been telling ourselves about how we came into being? Mm-hmm. Was yeah. it really a hunter-gatherer thing? What is the mythology around that? So actually, yeah. storytelling is a very crucial fulcrum in building out what it is we think is possible socially and what it is yeah. we've come to believe is true about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think that he... I mean, he's he's looking at everyone. No one is unscathed in 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 Fossbinder. No. I mean, I think that women take take the brunt of a lot of, but so do they in capitalism. Yeah, I think in that world, that capitalist mindset, he's taking it and then kind of shrinking it down to these characters that feel like they're on yeah. the ground level, like yeah. they're real life, and I think that that be- makes it more visceral. You know, it yeah. makes it like Agreed. when you know, uh, someone just like, like when Hans comes home in the Merchant of Four Seasons drunk and he hits his wife like over and over and over again. Like, yeah, that is incredibly hard to watch. But I, I, I don't think, I, I don't believe that Fassbender is just like taking like the Sean Connery route and just saying like, hey, just give him a little hit and then I'll teach him, you know, like get him back in line. Like, I don't think that's his idea. I think that he is showing this, mixture of so many different emotions and places in life where um you know hans is trying to be accepted and not undermined and find his place in life after losing the person that he loves and having his mother not believe in him and his wife kind of doesn't feel the same way 
and just seeing that kind of Molotov cocktail kind of go off, you know, and sure, someone can say that, that you know, that that the woman that particularly Erm Herman in that movie is is complicit and kind of turns. But I don't think it's just I don't think he's saying like this is how women are. I do agree that he's kind of breaking it down to a kind of more molecular level. Of but it's what also this how he stages is. violence. This is yes. important. Mm-hmm. How he stages that beat down is actually there's a there's a there's a head there's headroom on the beginning of that encounter. The, the actual gesture itself is almost rote. It's mm-hmm. almost like uh, prearranged. Yeah, it's part of a scripted action, and mm-hmm. there's a tail. It doesn't just end in its volatility. It ends in in the collapse of that volatility, and it holds. Mm-hmm. And he does that everywhere. And this is important because yeah. he's he's interested in what the prelude is, which is all structural, that produces the ground for behavior of the behavior of violence. Mm-hmm. So that we can see that the violence is intrinsic to the system itself. Yeah. Or even something in like Ali when, you know, Fassbender and Erm Herman are just hanging out. And he's like, oh, give me a beer. You're going to get it. Like, you don't want to know like what I'm going to do. And right. she's just like, fine. Like, she's just so like, couldn't be like just a, more annoyed. Like, she's just like, Fuck she wants whatever. him out of the house. She yeah. likes having him go yeah. to work. <laughs> yeah, I want my own time. I'm not I'm not saying I don't want you here. I'm just saying I like my peace and quiet, which is hilarious. But again, the fact that there is humor in that and just showing how um, normal and like the, how accepting but the question of complicity is a, is a big question. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, it's political. And I yeah. think we are all absolutely complicit insofar as we have debt, insofar as we consume, insofar as we drive cars, mm-hmm. insofar as any number of things. Um, yeah. We are complicit. We are involved. We are keeping the engine of it all going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not as simple as uh, as I think that the the criticism in it's in itself. No, I agree. makes it makes it out to be, or I think it can be kind of seen as surface level. I'm not, I'm not just saying that I'm not saying that, you know, to discredit all criticisms of misogyny or whatever in, in film. I just think with him, it's a, it's a bit different. It, it's, he's it really going at things in a very specific way. And again, yes, it can be hard to watch. Like I want to talk about the ending of Ali because of mm-hmm. how painful it is, but it's, it's fitting for the way that he likes to tell his stories and, you know, whether he achieves what he's setting out to do, you know, that's the subjectivity of it. You know, that is where if you connect with it, if you think it's successful, if the meaning changes, if you view it a different way, that's where artistic interpretation comes from. But this notion of, you know, I think a lot of it can come be, come by as like this plot point or this negative trope is is. Uh, is involved therefore this is problematic or this isn't right or this is misogynistic or whatever i think that is where we kind of get into trouble sometimes and i'm not saying that that's where this stems from but i think sometimes it can be easy to make that leap as opposed to yeah but okay then 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 we can look at laura mulvey and think about like that what the camera's doing to articulate a particular positionality of the male gaze for lack of Mm -hmm. a better word whatever her discovery is about that and i think that that's what he is doing is he's deconstructing mm-hmm. the shot structure of shot counter shot yeah he's he's leaving so much room 
you can only see the other. It's almost like you can't identify with anyone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you're being asked to observe them like they're yep. in a Petri dish of a social experiment mm-hmm. and we are outside looking at it and the degree to which we look at it, we ourselves can maybe change it, certainly in terms of our perception of it, not to get too like Heisenberg about it, but <laughs> no, it's OK. No, it's OK. Um, so I, I want to talk about the ending of Ollie yep. because I think this is where everything really you know, obviously comes to a head. I mentioned the changing of the structure and how the romance goes throughout. And it's, it's so fascinating to watch. I think like um, Emmy is such a compelling character and that the performance by um, the actress uh, who is um, Brigitte Mira, Brigitte Mira is phenomenal. She's so lovely and it's just such a wonderful um, person to watch. It starts with this scene of where she goes to the, 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 the mechanic where uh, yep. Ali works and so little is said because he was out all night and she's been worried sick. And you can tell that she's obviously like upset by all of this. And he's just like, I do what I want. And there's just this kind of, again, stare down between them. It's interesting that there's no like real physical violence towards two people in this movie. It's all internal and it's all through just a look which is mm-hmm. arguably like even scarier. Like the way that characters look at one another is yeah. so terrifying. And the way <laughs> that they just, you can see between the two of them in this like 30 second interaction, everything just kind of falls. Like the bridge in between them collapses and she just leaves and she doesn't say anything. And you're, it's devastating. You're just like, Oh my God, this is so heartbreaking that it's just over like that. And you, can't you can't believe it you're just like oh my god i i don't i i feel so bad for this woman that this happened but you also aren't like fuck you ali i can't believe you would do that you're just like kind of upset at the situation it's so um it's such a mental game in that respect and it's a great way to start this snowball effect of the rest of the film with the this the final scene at the bar where they're playing and then they start dancing and typical fast bender fashion a heart attack hits one of our main characters which happens quite frequently in his films um <laughs> but you there, it, he plays so much with your hope of this situation yep. because he understands the tropes of romance and melodrama he really wants you to feel like fuck this is over oh no and then when they're dancing in the pool hall you're like oh okay they're going to work it out, even though it's very clearly like when she's he's like, I've had I had sex with another woman. She's like, ah, that doesn't matter. Like, you're like, I want you to say more. But like, at the same time, keep dancing. You know, I want to I just want to see it. It's this really interesting, like tug and pull. Like, do you feel mm-hmm. that still after like rewatching it so many times? Well, I think the the mechanic scene is so important. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, back to this question of masculinity, because mm-hmm. of how this uh homo social mm-hmm. world uh produces a set of insider um uh it's weird camaraderie mm-hmm. you know one could say it's even like an, an alliance of misery which is what happens probably between soldiers yeah you know um so there's something about that that None of them are going to make out with any great success in life uh, necessarily. It's not like they're winners and, and, and Emmy's losing something. Mm-hmm. She's the truth teller and there is nothing to say against truth 
in this mm -hmm. scene. All they can do is stupid jokes and puns. That's that's the only speech act they're even capable of with one another, even before mm -hmm. she comes in. Yeah. You know, so it's a, of course she lands with real feelings mm -hmm. and they're just blocked and they're staged. They don't move these four guys. They're staged around a car. They're ostensibly there to fix, which they're not. Mm -hmm. It's just holding them up. Yeah. So when I love that you described the bridge collapsing between Emmy and Ali and what's left is this like old car that can't even move across any kind of a bridge mm -hmm. actually quite literally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, whether or not narratively she could have or should have seen this coming, um, there is there is companionship, and she's very clear about it. Like in the most basic level, that is what drew her to Ali. Mm -hmm. That is what she has enjoyed is his company, mm -hmm. and that's a very different thing from any other kind of understanding of that word company. Yeah, and and I believe that she ar arrives at a kind of she knows what the most important thing is and sex is not that or sex yeah. with someone else or whatever, these other things that attach to property. Yeah. I mean, if you think about what is the monogamous co uh, commitment that people make through marriage, it's a, it's property rights. Yeah, actually. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There's something very expansive about her mm -hmm. to know that in the film and yeah. but you know what she's going to be and end up being the caretaker yeah i mean mm -hmm. you just think like and you were the older one you would should be spared of, of that but no yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> you which will is, not be spared yeah no for sure which is also again kind of where the I, I love that you said it's more she's looking for company which is such an, a different you know um thing to seek in a romance like this where you do understand that she I think she does love him but it is more of just like I love being with this person this is someone that I can really um, I love spending time I love occupying the same space with this person and so mm -hmm. when she says like you know that doesn't matter just dance with me I think she just wants to feel them being in the same space together and then when literally when fear eats the soul, when she gets when he gets a heart attack, then again, it's pulled apart and she'll do anything. She says, you know, he has like a, a stomach ulcer or something and he'll have to come back every six months and she'll do anything. I think that that is kind of an interesting again, that's that is an influence of Douglas Sirk of watching her just like hold his hand. It's the same ending as um, all that heaven allows. But when he's when she's sitting there, you she just starts crying and that's the end of it. And you, like you said, yeah, she's becoming the caretaker. She's becoming the one now has to look after him, becoming a mother again in a, in a strange way. And it's this weird question of like, OK, well, she did she get what she wanted? Did she get this company with this guy? But she's going to have to like put in like her whole heart into like being into another job of caretaking yes. and, and cleaning and um, getting everything ready. And it's like it's it's almost an at what cost kind of ending question that I that I uh, really appreciate. And to just end it on that, that really sad shot of just her holding his hand as he like just lays there. It's like so ballsy. I love it. It's, such it's so a good ballsy. Ending. You know why it's ballsy, though, too, because it's not just about like what's their relationship in that moment. Mm -hmm. 
And is what is a relationship to another human being ever? Mm-hmm. And there is something in, obviously, we're mortal. No one wants to talk about that. It's the last thing anyone wants to talk about. Um, but he talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. He is never not talking about death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ever. Love is colder than death. I mean, death is like throughout, 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 throughout. And there's something so vital about understanding that part of humanity, which is that we spend so much time avoiding the fact that we share that in common with everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really everyone. Funny. Yeah. It's, it's something. And it's something to make so many films about and that it like, that it all works. Um, I think that slides right into analysis really well, because I think that, you know, using this film as, you know, a lot of Fassbender films end in death, you know, her R merchant. Um, like there, there's a lot of Fox. death in his movies. Yep. Fox. And the way that he uses people's perception of the character after death and um, what life really meant, what led to this moment and was it worth it is, you know, he, I think he says in this movie, you know, um, we have to love each other else. What, what is the point of living? I think he said, like so one of the characters says at this point, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of true, but at the same time, you are getting with someone who you don't love. Like you are like going off and you are finding safety and you are finding company and you are just finding something to kind of keep you going. That isn't love. Like at the end, we of this don't know movie, what love is. What's love? Yeah, exactly. Like at the end of this, you know, no one's focused on love. Like I think everyone is focused on loneliness again, like feeling mm-hmm. they don't want that. They, it ends with, you know, a group of people hanging out, who don't support each other's life decisions and how is what is that friendship and just you know again wanting to be together and this woman who has been with this man who has cheated on her and he is up front but she's just like let's just let's just not think about that right now and just trying to have a connection and be seen and wanted and um, you know, known by a community is like the real objective. And to die without that is the real fear, I feel, of, of a lot of his films and dealing with, I can't, I can't be alone. I can't be by myself. It's, it's scary by myself. And, you know, I think that, you know, Emmy has kind of been ruminating on this for a long time. And, you know, she realizes that almost you know with this relationship brought even more trouble than when she had when she was alone but she again it's like what is the cost what is the benefit like it's such a it's such an interesting moral dilemma that none of his characters really come to a stern conclusion to because they can't like it's not really a, a conclusion that they can come to it's almost like everyone else around them can look on to them like we as audience members are watching and like make the decision for them there is no happy ending. No. Mm-mm. What Fassbender film has ever ended happy? <laughs> well, what does that even mean? What is yeah. a happy ending? Yeah. What would a happy ending look like in life? Yeah. Uh, die in one's sleep. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe that's a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Hard to know. Yeah. Actually. Peaceful. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's not a lot of peace in his films. 
and there's not a lot of uh you know this one i think is is interesting in that it is a bit more of a, a quiet film of his mm-hmm. um and it is very kind of meditative and just watching about yeah. relationships as opposed to something like uh i don't know like year of 13 moons from what i can remember is very loud lots going on in that movie yeah um but you know this this one is kind of going through a a, a, an interesting motion of just letting this um relationship on like kind of bloom and again like how you know she makes these decisions based on you know the relationship that she has with ali so quickly you know wanting to marry him after Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. three months and finding a way to just not be alone and the only person that she can see is her daughter and her daughter doesn't even accept her decisions you know she really doesn't have anybody and to that's something that is scary to everybody you know i think again that's why ali is going back to the safety of his girlfriend is because he knows that she's always going to be there in a way you know, he's like, I'm just going to stay here while you go to work. And she's just like, all right, whatever you want. You know, there's couscous on the on the counter. Uh, and just to see those decisions and that kind of, I don't want to say justifies, but it makes you understand the character's decisions in a way. Well, it's an interesting thing about attachment also. Like mm-hmm. in what way does human attachment, however that's engendered, through expectations, through... Through, through things that attach to ideas of marriage and communion and all these ways in which we can be together with one another socially, mm-hmm. because yeah. she's also together with groups, even though they're all gossiping women, she's still a part of these. These are the only people she's a part of, mm-hmm. you know, her cleaning lady team. Th- yeah. Those are, those are her friends, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, which only solidifies as a group in opposition to the new outsider. Yeah. And so there's all of this that just keeps showing up in this film, which is that you never really, if, if what constitutes you as a whole with others is to be other than an mm-hmm. other, then yeah. you are building out the same exclusionary existence for yourself. It is a given. You will always, it's just rotating chairs. It's just rotating dancers, just changing dancers. But we're all, if that's our systemic structure of the social, which is that it's only founded on the ostracization of another, then we are, no one will ever be at home. Mm -hmm. There is no home. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's pretty hardcore, but (laughs) it's not wrong. No, no, it is not. <laughs> Very true. I was also thinking as I was watching this of the <clears throat> because the the main character Emmy, you know, showing this film from her perspective mostly, and her being like mm. the protagonist of, you know, just having a story focused on an older woman, like you were saying, is 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 not very common, and that's so interesting. And then most of the judgment that is thrown in her world, you know, there's obviously there's there's her son and there's um uh Fossbender who is her son-in-law but most of the people that are throwing judgment her way and affecting her mindset are women uh-huh. and all the other men in Ali's world they just kind of go along with things like he can easily just be like hey having a party at my place let's go and they're like all right let's do it you know just kind of looking for a place to go at that point 
and I'm, I'm not saying that to kind of negate all of the um, misogyny talk that we were talking about earlier, but I think it's interesting to, again, frame that from her world. The people that she is most taking their word from, taking you know their judgment and the yeah. harsh judgment, because she knows how hard it is to be a woman in this scenario, being an older woman, you know, an older woman who is a you know seen as a, in a job that's much like that is lesser than others, as a cleaning person, and um, you know fighting for a pay raise, um, and just looking for some form of companionship, and and other women in the same situation are just turning on her for whatever immediate reason that they have. And it's powerful to do that. I think like, I, I think that gender dynamic, you know, feeds into that point of view and it makes sense from her point of view that she would care about this. Cause these are the people that she sees every day. These are the people that she cares the most about <laughs> because again, occupying the same space. Well, that's, it makes, that's oh, so, that seems a somewhat more complicated actually, because in the, in a way you're, you're how, who are these women? Right. What is their backstory? Are they are they all widows? Mm-hmm. Are they all widows because of the war? Yeah. Um. What What's their financial uh, security, if any? Mm-hmm. Who is allowed to work? Yeah. What are the jobs, and at what point are you allowed to work or to mm-hmm. continue to work? And someone who's worked their entire life for many, many sixty, you know, for what fifty decades, sixty yeah. decades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's also just like, what's the deal? Like, what are, what are the terms when half of your life is spent working in, in yeah. a way? I see those more as a, and I've used this phrase before, sort of more as alliance of misery. Yeah. Actually, that's true. There's, there's a greater alliance with gossipers mm-hmm. than there, than not actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it necessarily falls on a gender divide there in terms of how these associations are, are founded or mm-hmm. what their governing principles are. I think that they're the only ones who have her ear. She's, yeah. she, she's pretty much alone and she's adapted to mm-hmm. being a widow. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Like I said, half baked ideas. Got to throw them out there. Um, <laughs> <All good. laughs> um, so do you have any other analysis points for Ali or do we want to move on to the final question? I mean, you could just, I think we've done a lot of analysis along the way, actually. (laughs) Um, It's just so, it's such an incredible document, this film. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I, so we've done so much for this. I, I, before I asked the question, I I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure. It's been wonderful. Um, But we end every episode asking the same thing. How, why do you love this movie? How does it add to your love of movies? If you could succinct like a single answer from that, how would you, what would you say? Um, I love this movie because it's greater than itself. <laughs> it's, it's, it does something with its theme and lets it play itself out, but it's doing something cinematically that is so simple. Mm-hmm. And yet so radical. And I talked about it at the beginning and it's throughout this film, how he structures the shot counter mm-hmm. shot, how that basic uh, filmic structure is taken apart by being slowed down. Mm-hmm. 
so that you see how it's functioning, how it functions in film to produce the other. Yeah. And to mm-hmm. me, that is like all praise. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful answer. Similarly, for me, I think it's a, the film is a testament to patience and how the movie itself, I was surprised at how short it was. Like, I remember when it ended, I was like, oh, damn, like, it's only 90 minutes. That's insane. He does a lot in 90 minutes. But he also, he really tests your patience in that there's payoff at the end with staying with this relationship and seeing how they've gone through the motions and changing the societal structure throughout. But that's what makes it so painful at the end is because the ending makes sense. And the ending makes sense because of how he slowly but surely brought you on to the side of these characters and showed you how shitty everyone is. And to, to kind of put it mildly, but he really kind of hurts you in that way, but he doesn't do it. Like it's not like it's not cynical, but it's also not, he's not punishing you. I think he himself also feels like really bad for these characters. Like he almost like, I I recently just did a a lot of another director binge. I did. I watched a few films of Robert Brosson and he has, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with his film. He has that. Yeah. I love Brosson. He, he has that one film. Balthazar. That's that's what I was going to bring up. Balthazar. Yes, there's Balthazar is what's so great about that film is that, again, it's it's almost watching a flower like wilt away. Like he is not punishing you like this is what life is. Life is shitty and you're going to sit here and watch it. He's like he's almost just saying like, what a shame. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, he's like, this is this is a thing of life. And it's honestly a shame that it happens, but it happens. And I think that's what this movie is doing. This movie is like taking something you know, a a relationship that's so beautiful and so interesting and performances that are so realistic and, you know, slowly putting them down by the end of the film and changing their expectations. And and I love when a film can do that. And this, you know, more than other Fassbender films, you know, I, I find Merchant of Four Seasons painful because you're just rooting for him at points and it's so different. But this is like it's a decay of love and it's, you know, it's very sad. And because of how satisfying it is at the end, you're just like, fuck. Oh, I, I almost like, you almost know that that's what's going to happen, but at the same time you don't. And so when it does, you're just like, Oh, and I think like on a grander scale of the film medium, I mean, it's just, again, it adds to the idea of Fassbender, you know, being a true artist and someone that is endlessly inspiring and who changed so much throughout his, the course of his career and how, his interests and the themes and the, um, you know, societal questions were always there, but he presented them in new and exciting ways each time. And and he, you know, somehow, you know, kept, kept him coming and didn't feel stale. Um, You know, I don't love all of his films, but just to see how varied they all are and see how he adapted throughout his time, um, it's inspiring. Like I was watching, like it's, I, I've, I'm inspired watching his movies. I want to write, I want to do more and watching him, you know, just play throughout cinema, doing whatever he wanted to do on a small budget. And with, you know, simple stories is like, I don't know of many other filmmakers who could do that on such a scale that he did. And I think that this one in particular, you know, is one that stands out among the rest as, 
because again he he's done these themes before like i can't i i can't say that this is a wholly original quote-unquote film because he's played with so many ideas like this before but yeah. the way that he tests you and the way that he puts the characters through the ringer you know makes it be like i know the experience of ali you know that is a very different filmmaking film watching experience than maria braun than merchant like it's 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 fascinating i know that was yeah, a long-winded good. answer so sorry <laughs> I'm, i mean no i'm 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 glad i'm glad you continue to be inspired by fassbender mm-hmm. in in a way that is that was my only desire in having that class was mm-hmm. that I knew that there was no way you would otherwise be exposed to that work. And mm-hmm. I felt like some of this stuff is going to land for people and some of it will just fly over. And that's okay, mm-hmm. whatever it does. For those people to whom it speaks, it will mm-hmm. be important. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's also important to return to films. I say it all the time. It's like, it's so important that you bring when you watch a movie, you bring your entire life to that viewing and watching these films this week. I realized like my, you know, how my tastes have changed and my love of older cinema. And even like, again, watching films by Brisson and, um, <clears throat> and other filmmakers from, uh, from Europe. And in the past, like it just made me realize like, Oh, this is all. And Douglas Sirk, like these are all things that I like. And I nice. didn't even realize it when I first saw it. <laughs> and it's so beautiful that like when you come it back is. to it, you're like, oh, this is I understand. Like, I'm so happy I had this exposure. So, again, I thank you so much for that class. You're so I, welcome. I really, Thanks for really changed a lot for me. Great. That's beautiful. <laughs> thank you, Kathy. This was wonderful. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. It was a delight. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Huge thanks to Kathy Crane. She's so wonderful. It was really great to reconnect with her and to talk about Fastbender and the impact that her class left on me. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it too. As I said up top, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, Frankly, I Love Movies, on Instagram and Facebook. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. I also want to give a big thanks to Kanan Harris for doing the music for our show and Rihanna Henson for doing all of the amazing thumbnail artwork that you see on all the standalone episodes. They're way better than my barely pieced together thumbnails that I do for the diary entries. Um, She's the best. So thanks to both of them for being a part of the show. And also, like I said, next week I will have the next diary entry up all about the films that I watched through the first half of December. It's going to be a really great time. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Music